I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. In Proverbs chapter 1, we have been occupying ourselves with a three-point outline that has been an effort on my part to teach you the fundamental truths about who to hang around with. The title of this series of messages is Bad Company Corrupts Good Morals, or Don't Hang with the Wrong Crowd. And we've been talking very, very practically about Proverbs chapter 1, specifically in verses 8 to 19, and what it says to us about who influences us, who we hang around with, who we listen to, and who we speak with. And this particular three-point outline is as follows. In verses 8 and 9, we've been talking about wearing our parents' godly counsel continually, just as though we were wearing a fine piece of jewelry around our neck. There, Solomon tells his son, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. In other words, Solomon wants to tell his son, or if we wanted to apply it today, if you wanted to tell your son, or spiritually speaking, if you were a mentor or a discipler of someone, you would want to tell your spiritual child that they ought not forsake your teaching and that they ought to listen intently to your instruction. And it would be, as it were, a graceful wreath to your head or an ornament or a beautiful or wonderful necklace around your neck that would show that you are wearing or applying the truth of what you're being taught. And that is a very, very simple way of saying, listen. Listen to those who are your teachers. Don't recoil at what they tell you. Don't poo-poo what they say to you as truth. Listen to them. Gain the insight of the many years of experience they have gone through. Wear your parents' godly counsel continually. And then secondly, we found out last time that we are to withstand the enticement of sinners' words. Beginning in verses 10 and running through verse 14, we find that the Scripture is teaching us here that we are to withstand the enticement of the words of sinners. Very, very clearly in this context, we're said to be this, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. That's what your life is to be all about. If sinners come to you to entice you, you are not to consent to their desires. And we said that specifically in verses 11 and 12, they're going to say something to you. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause, let us swallow them alive like Sheol, 
even whole as those who go down to the pit. In other words, there is going to be talk that you are going to be hearing at least at some point in your life. And Solomon, as I and any other person who would desire to live a godly life, would want to tell you whether you're a son or daughter physically or one spiritually in the faith, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say something to you, and it sounds like this, come with us. Let's do some injustice. Let's do something that will rev up the juices of the excitement of our life. Things are pretty boring around here. Let's do what we can to make sure that we live life to the fullest. Grabbing all the gusto. You only live life once. Go for it. And we need to say to that kind of talk, whether it's a parent to a child, or maybe even a sibling to a sibling, or a grandparent to a grandchild, or someone in the faith who's discipling or mentor, mentoring someone else, don't listen to that kind of speech. If they say and what they say is something that you should not learn, you should not understand, you should not obey. If it's contrary to the Word of God, then dismiss the talk, run away, do whatever you can to not be involved in that kind of verbiage. It's only going to lead you to destruction. And you remember the sub-point under this withstanding the enticement of sinners' words is do not consent to the talk of murder and treachery. Clearly, that's what's being described here. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like shield, even whole, as those who go down to the pit. It's talking about murder. It's talking about treachery. And even if you're not inclined to be thinking of this kind of scenario in your mind, or even warning your child that this is even within the realm of possibility. Of course, the New Testament speaks so very clearly, and I've outlined some questions in our care group time tonight, that this isn't, of course, just referring to those who are talking about the act of murder itself. You could, of course, widen it out to the issues of anger. I've included a passage that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, about not just being involved in the acts of murder or treachery, but what about anger in a person's heart? Anger, of course, is that which leads to these kinds of actions. And so we're really talking about the talk of murder and treachery, and we're talking about the doing of it, and we're also talking about the thinking that even comes before the speech. It's all involved in this regard. And we looked last time at many, many passages from the Proverbs that talk about sinners and their talk, didn't we? We looked at a number of passages. I don't know how many, but there were at least 15 or 20 of the Proverbs themselves that speak to us very wisely about the matter of not being involved in those things that you hear through the ear gate that speak to you of matters of murder, of treachery, of violence coming to you through the words of sinners. Foolish people, the naive, the simpletons, the aggressors, the violent aggressors. And we saw that the Proverbs are chock full 
of warnings, of challenges, of commands, of prohibitions, of exhortations, not to allow yourself to continually hear about violence, about murder, about treachery, about wickedness, about evil. And I trust that I was able to communicate to you that what you listen to is extremely important in your life. Even if you don't assume that what you're listening to is affecting you the way it's affecting you. There are many, many people who say, well, I could be involved in this or that, or I could go to this show or this movie or read this particular book. And believe you me, there are enough books and novels and materials and motion pictures and all kinds of things that speak of nothing but murder and violence. Someone will say, now you're sort of stepping on my toes here. I love my murder mysteries. I've heard people say that. I know, they're, I know they're speaking of violence. I know they're speaking of treachery. I know all of those things, but they're intriguing to me. And, and the reason why it's intriguing to me is not the murder and the violence itself, but how they're caught and punished. And of course, this kind of mentality is speaking to the very things that the Proverbs say don't do. Don't listen to it. Don't be involved with it. What kind of ministry, what kind of standard, what kind of modeling would we be if our children knew that that's what occupied our minds sometimes on a daily basis? That which occupies us, which would be ambushing, lying in wait for blood, swallowing people, that is, murdering them with a fatal blow, all of these things are speaking of the kinds of acts that are or should be repugnant to the Christian. And certainly for a teacher, a godly parent, a godly discipler ought to be saying to those they're discipling or mentoring, my son, if sinners entice you in these ways, do not consent. Don't go there. Flee. Run the other way. Don't involve yourself in this talk of murder and treachery and all of the things associated with it. There's a, there's a second sub-point here. It's contained for us in verses 13 and 14. We are to withstand the enticement of sinners' words not only when they start talking about murder and treachery, but also when they talk of materialism and greed. Materialism and greed. Verse 13. This is the continuing dialogue of the wicked person, the sinner, according to verse 10. Here's what they say, in addition to talking about acts of violence, murder, treachery, but also the motivation, the reason underlying such murder and treachery, such violence. Verse 13, we, that is the sinners, telling the person that they want to entice to sin, we will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. That's obvious. What it's saying to us is don't listen to the talk of murder and treachery, and by all means, don't listen to the talk of the deceiving based upon materialism and greed. 
This is the obvious motivation in the heart of this sinner, trying to entice you by bringing you into the mix. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. We might say it today like this, we'll be able to fill our houses with stuff. Appliances, stereos, televisions, Walkmans, computers, carpeting, drapery, beds, king-size beds, king-size water beds. We'll have it all. Just, just come with us. Just take a moment. It'll only take you a little bit of time. We've planned everything out. We're going to do this at this hour. We're going to be able to do this when this moment approaches. And we want you to know that if you come with us, we're going to find all kinds of precious wealth. The money's there. It's just like the pot at the end of the rainbow. We'll fill our houses with spoil. We're going to have it all. We're going to be rich. We're going to have millions. We're going to have so much money, we're not going to, we're not going to know what to do with it. Throw in your lot with us, he says. We shall all have one purse. It'll be common property. We'll all share. And of course, a sinner always shares equally, doesn't he? He always says, look, I know that I'm going to have 25%, but you're going to have 25%, and my partner over here is going to have 25%, and our partner over here is going to have 25%. We'll only take one quarter of it until it's all exhausted, and I won't cheat you, I promise. Come on, we need your part. We need your involvement. Interestingly, this week I received from Phil Krauss, who's leading our music and worship this morning, an email. And Phil was saying, I know that you're going to be coming to this very passage, and it's interesting that I've received some spam email. Spam email is that which sent out to all far reaches of email capability. And he says, I want you to listen to this. He says, have you seen any of these scam emails going around? There are many versions. But they are all supposedly from some muckety-muck government official from a country in Africa. He says, the ones that I've received are from Nigeria, Togo. They all have one thing in common. The story always goes something like this. This is extremely confidential. It just so happens that we, my partners and I, have come across a very large amount of money. $8.5 million U.S. or $25 million, they might say, $100 million, either from a wealthy person who's died or from some overpaid government invoice. And because I'm a government official and therefore not allowed to have an overseas bank account, I need to deposit the money in your account for a while because you're trustworthy. Of course, they've never met you. They have no idea what what you are, how you handle your money. And for helping us out, you will get a certain percentage of the money. The percentage varies from email to email, but it's usually 25% or more. Now you know how I came up with my percentage a moment ago. Please contact me with your bank account number, etc., etc., or call this number. Now, we laugh at that and say to ourselves, now who would be an idiot to do that? But you know what? Throw in a little bit of Christian courtesy. Throw in a little bit of, I need desperately your help. Throw in a little bit of, you're going to be doing yourself and your service, your country a great service. 
throw in all kinds of things like that, and there would be people who, even innocently, with compassion, and courtesy, and kindness, who might say, well, it's just trying to help someone. Sure, doesn't seem to be a problem to be able to help someone and be able to receive a little bit of money in return for that help. Phil wisely said, hmm, sounds kind of like we shall find all kinds of precious wealth, we shall fill our houses with spoil, cast your lot among us, let us have one purse. He's right. Unless you think this is an anomaly, unless you think this is not really true, I received one of those, and I'll read it to you. Dear Sir, it is my warmest pleasure writing you this confidential business proposal, confidentially going out to millions of people across the world. With a view, you will consider my request and give me positive response, hence time is essential. However, I'm making this contact to you based on trust and confidence, irrespective of the fact that we have not met before, and because of the nature of the business I'm about to introduce, I want to remain positive, having the faith and the will, and convincing myself that you will be capable to do business with me. As a matter of introduction, I am the financial director slash chief accountant for INEC, meeting Independent National Electoral Commission. This organization, INEC, is in charge of conducting elections held in my country, Nigeria. Consequently, last year, about one billion U.S. dollars was allocated to this agency by the past military government that handed over power to the civilian administration that is governing the political sovereignty of the Federal Republic of Nigeria as of now. On dispersing of the one billion dollars for election purposes, this of course is the idea that the United States wants to have a full and fair democratic voting in this particular country and uh, the United States has given one billion dollars according to this email so that this democratic form of election can occur and it's not something that's happening under the table or a totalitarian government or some regime like that. He says, having concluded all stages of the election and the new government already in power, it was left for my office to give account of all expenses utilized in conducting the election and while doing this on the accounts, I and my two other partners secretly removed the sum of $30 million from the INEC Treasury account with the intention of siphoning the funds out of the country to any reliable foreign account pending when we shall come over to that person's country and collect our percentage specifically meant for investment purposes. Now that sounds very legal, doesn't it? No. It's obviously something that's very illegal. As the chief financial director of INEC, I've already declared to the authorities here that out of the $1 billion given to us, $170 million has been pushed to the Forex account of the Bank of Nigeria awaiting the telegraphic wire transfer taking place to your designated bank account. Note, our reason for contacting you in this confidential transaction is due to the fact as top civil servants working under government establishment or corporation, we are not allowed to operate foreign accounts as it is against the new government anti-corruption code of conduct. And that we have access to foreign accounts, we shall be dismissed from service immediately, and based on this difficult situation, we have no other option than to look for a reliable foreign partner to assist us in taking these funds out. Finally, 
This transaction will be finalized precisely in three weeks' time, and we shall be giving you 25% of the sum total for your support, assistance and cooperation in seeing that these funds transfer successfully. On the other hand, you are being guaranteed also that there is no atom or risk in this transaction. If this proposal is acceptable to you, you should call me at this telephone number or my e email address for further information, yours faithfully, and then it gives the name. Now that might be what we would call a 21st century version of Proverbs chapter 1, and how obviously, if you were to receive an email like that, you would be foolish to give someone your bank account number, because what would happen to your bank account once you gave the number? It would be gone. Your money would be gone. Your $23.72 would be gone. And that's the point, whether it's sophisticated by some tremendous email where someone is just willing to take a shot at making a buck, or something so much more grotesque as someone asking you to be involved with them in a bank robbery, whether it's on the spectrum of the degraded or it's on the spectrum of the great sophistication, it's all the same thing. And what the Word of God tells us is, don't do it. Don't be involved with it. If they say, come on, we'll find all kinds of precious wealth. We'll fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We'll all have one purse. The Bible says, Solomon says, the Word of God declares, don't do it. Don't be involved. And as I did last time, I want to show you again how the Word of God is so clear in this matter. Just by the Proverbs. You remember I told you that as I start this series on the Proverbs, I want to be able to catch all of the verses from Proverbs chapter 10 on, all the way through to chapter 31, that speak thematically of these ideas. And believe you me, there are a multitude of passages in the Proverbs that speak about not listening to the evil person and what they're trying to do to lure you into their violence, to lure you into materialism and greed. For instance, look at Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10, and as I said last week, if you don't have the occasion to look up every one of these passages with me, at least write them down and look at them later and see how, again, thematically they relate to what we're talking about, being lured into materialism and greed. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Notice this. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord, verse 3, will not allow the righteous to hunger, but He will reject the craving of the wicked. You see what's occurring here? There's a clear contrast between those who are a wise son and those who are a foolish son. Those who are attempting to profit by ill-gotten gains and those who are asking the Lord to deliver them from death by way of righteousness. It's contrasting those who are 
righteous and therefore not hungering for their daily bread, and those who are wicked and who are craving and obviously by deceit receiving things for which ultimately the Lord will reject. You see the obvious principle of the Word of God here? Reject the craving of the wicked. If a wicked person comes to you, you might not know initially that they're wicked, but when they give you a scheme, look, if you, if you can just give me your bank account number, I'll assure you, I'll guarantee you that you don't have to do anything but be a repository for this money for a certain time so that ultimately I'll give you 25% of the total amount that goes into your bank account. Guess what would happen? Guess what would happen? Let's say someone did fall for that and they did allow their bank account to be used for that purpose and someone actually was doing this and someone actually did give them 25% of that, do you think the authorities would ultimately buy your line that said, look, I was only responding to an email that I received. I, I know it looks bad. I know it looks like I was involved in this scheme. I, I know it looks like I was an accomplice to this. But all I want to tell you is I was just trying to help a person out who, who wanted my assistance. The Lord says, ill-gotten gains do not profit. The Lord will reject the craving of the wicked. Look at verse 16. The wages of the righteous is life. The income of the wicked, punishment. There it's using the idea of working, wages, income. And a person who's righteous and desires to do righteously, righteous deeds, their reward is life. But the income, the wages, the ultimate outcome of the wicked is punishment. So don't do wickedness so that your outcome will be punishment as well. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. Proverbs 11, 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. This is sort of a a mental apprehension. If you want to be involved in always pursuing profit, if that's your bottom line, if that's priority number one, if that's what you are most known for, there's going to be a day of wrath. But if you are going to be involved in righteousness, right thinking, right acting, right doing, that will ultimately deliver you from death. Look at verse 6. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. You see, don't be involved, Solomon is saying, with those who are greedy. Because that's nothing more than treacherousness. Allow the Lord Himself to direct your steps, and ultimately you'll be an upright person, and the righteousness of God and your righteousness by God's righteousness will deliver you. Verse 18. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness receives a true reward. Now, I don't even have to comment on some of these because they're so obvious. If you want to be involved in procuring for yourself deceptive wages, then you're not going to receive a true reward. The Lord knows what you're doing. The Lord knows what kinds of business policies and techniques you're involved with. He understands all of that, and if you're on the up and up, as they say, God will reward you. If you're not, He won't. Verse 25, 
The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who diligently seeks good seeks favor or grace, but he who seeks evil, evil will come to him. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Again, this is a set of Proverbs that tell us unmistakably contrasting those who are procuring evil money through greed, even holding back from people, withholding grain, the people will curse him. But the blessing will be on the head of a person who is generous, who sells his grain, who diligently seeks their good, because in the seeking of their good, God will give them grace. That's what the word favor means, grace. You seek evil, evil will come to you. You seek good, God will give you grace. If you trust in your riches, you'll fall. The righteous, however, will flourish like the green leaf. You see, this is talking about materialism and greed. This is talking about the stuff of life. This is talking about what all of us, at one time or another, are tempted by. Proverbs 12, verse 12. The wicked man, Proverbs 12, 12, desires the booty of evil men, the riches, the goods. But the root of the righteous yields what? Fruit. Fruit. And notice, interestingly, verse 12, a wicked man desires the booty of evil men. Isn't that interesting? A wicked man is going to go after wicked men. They're going to desire the stuff of evil people. So it's evil people going after other evil people. You don't want to even be involved in that. Why? Because you want your root, the root of your tree, this green leafy tree, you want that root of righteousness to yield fruit, godly fruit, blessing from God. Look at verse 14. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, and the deeds of a man's hands will return to him. The deeds of your hand will return, whether it's good or evil. Chapter 13, verse 11. Chapter 13, verse 11. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles. But the one who gathers by labor increases it. In other words, this entire proverb is against those who are defrauding people. Because the first half of the verse says, Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. In other words, if you keep working and keep working and keep laboring and keep laboring, gradually your wealth will rise but ultimately, understand this by some of the other Proverbs. You keep doing it, you keep laboring, you keep doing it gradually, little by little. It might increase for sure, but ultimately it will be punished by God forever. Proverbs 14, verse 16. And I just love the way the Proverbs just stack up these principles upon principles. Just one right after the other about the same theme. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 16. A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. 
Boy, if I've heard one thing from people who've been caught and then imprisoned, it's this. I, I was so proud. I was so arrogant. I thought I could do it all. I thought I could get away with it. And ultimately, I was caught because something I did was careless. I was careless. I slipped up. I did the wrong thing. I made the wrong move. And this is exactly what this proverb is saying. A fool is arrogant and careless, but a wise man is cautious and turns away from evil. That means if you're tempted to be involved in something, some kind of business deal, some kind of materialistic or greedy arrangement, then run, run away. Move yourself away. You're cautious. You turn away from evil. Look at verse 21. He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. In other words, God wants us to be gracious. He doesn't want us to gain materialistically and greedily by deception, by fraud. He wants us to be happy. That could mean envious. It could mean someone who's blessed. Blessed is he who is gracious to the poor. You want to be blessed? You want God to extend His grace to you? Then extend your grace to the poor. Find out who has needs and meet that need. Proverbs 15, verse 6. And again, these are just wonderful. I love these pithy statements. Proverbs 15, 6. Great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is in the income of the wicked. Trouble. There's trouble brewing. If you're involved in wickedness, watch out. At some point, your eyes will be opened, and you'll say to yourself, Why did I do that? Why did I say yes to that deal? Why did I go there? Why did I talk to them? Why did I make that step? Trouble is in the income of the wicked. Look at verse 16. Better is a little, that would be little materially, better is a little materially with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. I've said this to my own children many, many times. No man is so poor as the one who has only money. No man is so poor than the one who has only money. And how many times do you hear people say, I had it all, I had all the money I wanted, I had all, all the cars, I had all the people, whether it's a girl or a guy, I had all the fame, I had it all, and inside I was what? I was what? Empty, empty, lost, barren. I had no fun, I had no happiness, I had no joy, I had no inner peace. Why? Because they were gathering up the great treasure on the outside and ultimately there was nothing but turmoil on the inside. You know, sometimes it's better to have a little than to have a lot. Sometimes it's better to have a little than to have a lot. Look at verse 29, or excuse me, 27. 27. He who profits illicitly... That's just like Proverbs 1, isn't it? He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. No, re no reason to comment, right? That's very clear. If you gain 
profitably by an illicit transaction, trouble's going to come to your house. But if you hate bribes, you're going to live. Boy, these are great for us. Proverbs 16, verse 8. This is sort of a, a similar statement to the last chapter. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Verse 19. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Remember they said, we'll all have one purse. Throw in your lot with us. We'll fill our houses with what? Spoil. What, what is this telling us? It's telling us that if you have spoil, it's not going to be good. It's going to come back to bite you because you're not humble about it. You're proud about it. Verse 29, a man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. There's that enticing idea. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Chapter 19, verse 6. Nineteen six. Many will seek the favor of a generous man, and every man is a friend to him who gives gifts. If you're always and forever trying to be around the generous so that they can drop giftings into your lap, that's the wrong kind of perspective. How many times have you heard somebody who's won the lottery and they've said, I never knew I had that many relatives before, right? Or maybe one of these professional athletes who said, I never knew how many relatives I'd have to give tickets when I come back home for a, for a ball game. I mean, they just come out of the woodwork. They're just looking for the stuff. They're not really re willing to work on it on their own. They're just looking for handouts. That's not the way to be. Look at verse 17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will repay him for his good deed. Boy, what a great proverb. If you're gracious, if you lend to the poor, if you give to the poor, if you're gracious to them, you're actually lending money to the Lord, and what the Lord do, will do is repay you for the good deed that you've done. Isn't that wonderful? That's what our perspective should be, not trying to gain money by deception, but giving our money away. It's only money. Give it away. Chapter 20, verse 14. This is, and this is really comical. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes his way, then he boasts. Isn't that funny? Someone comes and says, I'd like you to, to appraise this for me. Oh, it's bad, bad. It's not, not worth anything, really. No, no, you shouldn't really take, oh, say, $1,000 for it. In fact, I'll, I'll give you 1000 myself. I mean, I'll just take it off your hands. It's really worth far less than that, but I, I'll take it off your hands. It's bad, bad. So you give the $1,000, and then you walk away knowing that it's worth 10000 and knowing that you're going to sell it for 15000 and you've said to yourself, I've made $14,000 off this idiot. That's what this proverb is talking about. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. There's a sucker born every minute, and I just bought something, and I deceived them. Verse 15, there is gold and an abundance of jewels, 
but the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. Verse 17, Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. I read that one last week. That applies this week as well. Bread obtained by falsehood. That's somebody who says, throw in your lot with us. We'll all have one purse. It's bread being obtained by falsehood. And boy, you think it's sweet to you. You think you're in with the great crowd. You think you're in with the desperados, the ones who are really slick. And all of a sudden, when you have your reward, it's like your mouth is filled with gravel. Verse 21. An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Why? Because people spend it. If they're concerned with materialism and greed, give me my inheritance. Isn't that what the prodigal son said? Father, give me my inheritance now. And what did he do with it? Boy, it was great at the beginning. It was wonderful. Man, I had all the money I wanted, all the, the friends. I had all the stuff, all the spoil. It was great at the beginning. The problem is, it wasn't too good at the end. I was with the pigs. I was in slop. Look at verse 23. Differing weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false scale is not good. This is somebody who's weighing produce. And what they've done is that they've weighted the side of the balance to their own favor. So when someone comes and says, I, as a farmer, I've... I've done this produce, I've done all that I could, it's for the sake of my family, and I want to yield the greatest return that I possibly can, and I want you to weigh this for me, and I want you to pay me what it's worth. And this guy is in the market, and he weights the balance in his favor, and he says, ah, it's worth this much. And you say, well, boy, last year it was this. Well, you know, prices have really gone up, prices have really gone down. You, you, you owe this much. Well, okay, I trust you, and it's a matter of trust. And the Lord is saying, differing weights are an abomination to the Lord and a false scale. It's not good. Don't deceive people into thinking that what they have brought to you is worth this much when you know in your heart it's worth far more than that. That's stealing. Look at Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, verse 6. The acquisition of treasures... By a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor. It is the pursuit of death. The violence of the wicked, verse 7, will drag them away because they refuse to act with justice. The way of a guilty man, verse 8, is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. You see, it's just going right back to Proverbs 1. Your conduct needs to be pure. Don't be a guilty man. Don't be crooked. Don't act with injustice. Don't be a violent, wicked man. God will drag you away. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 9. And if you're like me at this point, I'm saying, Uncle, Uncle, I give up. I, I agree, Lord. This is true. All of what you're saying is true. But the Lord says, I'm going to pelt you a few more times. Proverbs 22, 9. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Again, a similar proverb. The Lord's going to bless you. You give to the poor. The Lord's going to bless you and give back to you in return. Verse 16. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. 
Why would you give money to the rich when they're already rich? Why? Favor? Status? Right? You want to be able to be looked at in their eyes as either another rich guy, a good friend. You want status with them. And why do you not give to the poor, uh, to the poor but oppress them? It's because you are spending it on yourself. You want to make more for yourself. Look at verses 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. Wow. That's a very strong word. Proverbs 23, verse 4. This is maybe the summation verse, isn't it? Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. You pursue it, you pursue it, you pursue it, and then it's gone. Verse 6, Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. In other words, he'll give you food, but in his heart, he's a selfish man. He says to you, eat and drink. In other words, he thinks he's being selfless. He thinks he's doing you a service, but his heart is not with you. You see, he has ill motives for wanting to feed you for his own gain. And then verse 8, very graphically, you will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. Wow. Don't be involved with these kinds of evil people. Don't be involved with them. Chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding is, it is established. And by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You know it's talking spiritually there, don't you? You want the riches of this life? By wisdom. Receive understanding. Do it by knowledge, and your rooms will be filled. You talk about rooms being filled with spoil. How about the spiritual spoil of Riches, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, godliness, righteousness. Well, that's the Christian's earnest seeking. That's what we're to be all about. Verse 19. Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked, for there will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. And it's almost like uh, the, the proverbial wise old sage is saying, I'm telling you the truth. Don't do it. Don't fret. Don't be envious of them. There'll be no future for that man. The lamp of the wicked, it's, it's going to be put out. It's, it's going to end. And you don't want to end with it. Proverbs 28, verse 5. Proverbs 28, 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. Well, isn't it great to understand all things? If you're righteous, you will. Ultimately, you'll understand the universe, God, truth, heaven and hell, right and wrong, good and best, evil and good, money and satisfaction. You'll, you'll be able to understand it all. Look at verse 8. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury, that's charging people exorbitant interest, gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. At least someone might say, oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just giving to the Lord. I'm just giving to the church. But you're robbing the people you're 
taking the money from because you're charging them exorbitant interest. Don't do that. Look at verse 10. He who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. Verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. Isn't it so clear? Verse 22, A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. Isn't that so graphic? Uh, An evil eye who's hastening after wealth. Just can't think of anything else but. Proverbs 29, verse 7, The righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concern. It's not even in his mind. He's not even thinking about concerning himself with the poor. He doesn't even think about people who are needy. But the righteous does. They're concerned for the poor. Verse 24, He who is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He hears the oath but tells nothing. What does that mean? Well, in Leviticus it says that you're commanded, if you know a crime has been committed, you're a witness to it, you're commanded under oath to tell what you saw. You're commanded under an oath to tell what you saw. You're a witness. But he's, he who is a partner with a thief, he hate, hates his own life. Why? Because when he hears the oath, he can't say anything about it because he knows he's duplicitous. He knows he's compliant in this. He knows that he's involved. Well, I, I, I can't say anything. If, if I go to court and if I testify of what I know, then they're going to snatch me up and say, you're guilty as well. There's complicity here. So I can't say anything. I have to go before the the court, whichever court it may be, and say this, I plead the fifth, or I don't recall, or I have no independent recollection. Right? I mean, there's all kinds of language now that people use who when they know the truth, so many of them, they can't say anything because they know they're involved in the thing. That's treachery. That's... Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. This is, this, is, this is the opposite. This is a guy who's saying, two things I've asked of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Here, here's what I'm asking for. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Let me be in between. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That means only give me what I need. Only give me that which is going to satisfy me. Not anymore that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Boy, that is a great passage. It's, it's, Lord, make me satisfied with what I have. I don't want too little, so I have to go out and steal for it, but I don't want too much so that I'm so full, I, I reach back and say, Oh, look at what I have done. You see, the Lord wants us to be right in that middle ground. Lord, I just want you to give me what I need. That's it. Nothing more. Like Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, I just want to be content with what I have. Because if I go in this ditch on one side or this ditch on the other, I'm in trouble. I'm really, really in in trouble. And then the last verse, Proverbs 31, verse 9. 31, 9. Open your mouth, judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Don't say that you're going to lie and wait for blood. Don't fall into that trap. 
Don't fall into the trap of deceiving them and taking their money. You're to open your mouth and judge righteously if you're a king or a judge or someone in charge, and you're to defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. Now, having shared all of those passages with you, and the wellspring out of which Proverbs 1 comes to us, there might be someone who says, you know, I can't relate to any of this. I'm not involved in murder. I'm not involved in treachery. I'm not involved in this kind of talk. I don't listen to this kind of thing. This is something for which I cannot apply to my life. You know, it's actually a lot closer than we may think, a lot closer to us. This kind of talk, this kind of involvement, this, these kinds of business transactions, it's probably closer to us than any of us would ever think. John Phillips, commenting on Proverbs chapter 1, says, People in the law-abiding segment of society find it hard to believe that propositions to enter a life of violence and crime really abound, but they do. Millions have been drawn into syndicated crime, racketeering, the drug trade, pornography, loan sharking, and murder. Others have become, in, become involved in gangs. Not infrequently, initiation into a gang cannot take place until the candidate has offered convincing proof that he has committed an act of violence. Some gangs even demand that initiates commit murder before they can be accepted as members. The world's big cities are plagued with gangs, some 350 gangs with a combined membership running into tens of thousands are known to exist in Los Angeles alone. 350 gangs. Offering a life of excitement and crime, gangs can be highly attractive to young people being reared in slums. Gangs offer a means to dissipate boredom, a family, something thousands have never had, status, money, sex, and power at a price. Whatever the reason, they are drawn by gangs into a life of violence. In addition to the invitation to a life of violence, sinners offer the money proposition. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil, Proverbs 1.13. People who enjoy relative security and affluence find it difficult to imagine the glittering allure of an offer of swift and easy wealth. Proverbs 1.13 does not point to a make-believe world. It points to a real, hard, cruel world the only world some unfortunate people have ever known. It may, it, it may not just be around us, it may be with us, people being tempted. And it may not be something that's incredibly awful to think about, like murder and racketeering, but it could be something like taking things that don't belong to you, stealing, injustice to a friend or a neighbor, or taking your head and moving it to the side when you know a need exists. It could be many things like that. It could be small things. But the bottom line for us as parents, spiritual or otherwise, is to tell our children, this is the truth, walk in it, buy the truth, sell it not, bind it around your neck, write it on the tablet of your heart. Take these things to your heart and say to yourself, am I like this, even in small ways? What am I telling my kids? How am I living before them? Do I live with them in integrity? Or do they see little compromises here and there that might even be small things today and great things tomorrow? This is, this is a great text. It's telling us, look at your life. Evaluate what you're doing. And whether you're a son or a father or a grandson or a grandfather, take to heart these matters. Don't listen to the talk of murder and treachery and don't listen to the talk of materialism and greed it will trouble you the rest of your life and then eternal punishment. Let's pray together.
Father, these principles are real for us. They are true. And we know that there is no way to respond to these things until we place our faith firmly and squarely and only in Jesus Christ. It's the grace alone that that we were listening to in that song. It's that Jesus Christ has given us the opportunity to say no to these sinful desires, to say no to murder and treachery, to say no to anger and evil thoughts, to say no to running with the wrong crowd, to say no to materialism and greed. Lord, when we're outside of Christ, there's no way to do anything but these things. But we're in Christ and... Being in Christ, we now have the freedom to say no to such things because it displeases you, it dishonors you. And Lord, may we teach our sons and our daughters and our grandsons and granddaughters. And may we teach those who we're discipling on a spiritual plane, maybe even sometimes by past experience. I did this, I was there, I did that, don't do it. It will only bring you to ruin. Father, I pray that you would grant us grace and mercy to say no to these things, to be pleasing to you, and give us great favor with our children so that we can be the kinds of people that honor you and receive life eternal. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.